Steve, happy Monday. How are you? I'm doing really good, man. I was a little worried about you over the weekend. Woke up Saturday morning and saw there's tornadoes in Missouri. <laughs> I immediately yeah. texted you. <laughs> yeah. And Arkansas and Kentucky. And yeah, it was yeah. a big system that rolled through. We were uh we were good where I was, but um unfortunately some damage and even death not too far from us. So that's crazy. It's, uh, yeah, I don't want to say it's like completely normal where we're at, but it's definitely part of life. There's definitely usually a few times a year where there's legit storms and at least chances of a tornado. But uh, yeah, man, we're well. Thank you. Yeah. Does everybody have a, you know, like um, basically just supplies in a basement? I mean, does every house out there have a basement for this stuff? Um, most do. Yeah. Most do. Um, yeah. I mean, most... There's places like it's worse in uh, like Southwest Missouri. Like people may remember here in like Joplin, right? Like Joplin got leveled by a tornado. Um, I think at some point in the early two thousands. Um, and then you go further West to like Kansas um, and they're known to have a more where I'm at in particular. Um, they're not as prevalent, um, but it's definitely can still happen. Um, the whole some people may see in the news like that Amazon facility that got destroyed was 22 miles, I think from me. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it can happen. Most homes do have basements here. And then there's like the, uh, the like stereotypical, uh, makes me think of like, I don't know if it's on South park or something, they'd make fun of it, but like, you know, trailer parks getting hit by tornadoes type thing, where they don't have a basement. Like there's, (laughs) there's definitely, places like that that are probably most vulnerable that exist, you know, somewhere, gotcha. but yeah, most normal the, homes have basements. I wonder what the wind load from back from my construction days, you know, I'm like, I think we had like a 90 mile an hour wind load here. Buildings have to be designed for them. I'd be curious what the heck they have to be over there. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't in my house, like it was built in the fifties. So it's like, yeah. what is that even like? Did they yeah, even no have kidding. any sort of standard then? Right. Huh. Um, but that said, most homes built in the fifties are, probably built a little bit better yeah. homes these days anyway <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. yeah so cool. yeah we've definitely uh like i remember uh when the kids were little getting them out of their cribs at 2 a.m to have to go to the basement type thing like that's you know yeah that's happened like there's some memories there where my wife was pretty freaked out <laughs> crazy well glad you guys are all good yes we are good um Little known fact. I don't know if it's a little known. I say little known fact about Steve Speck is you're like you're like Mr. Merry Christmas, like all jolly. So are you digging <laughs> this time of year? Yeah, dude. I just love Christmas, man. I, I'm uh uh yeah, I dig it, dude. Just some fond memories as a child and um just continue the tr- tradition on. Every year we have an exo Christmas party and get people together and just had it uh, last Friday night actually there at the shop, just kind of invited kind of close friends and and family and stuff like that and got together and i brought in a big old bouncy house and so we had like 20 kids just rocking the put over in one corner of the shop and uh, it was actually perfect because they were just playing in there the whole time while all the adults got to hang out and have some drinks and ordered in pizza and just a good time yeah that's cool man i took some uh some guys hiking this weekend on saturday Uh, there's some guys that I kind of work out with, but they don't, they're not like big hunters or hikers. And uh, one of them, you know, mentioned at some point of like putting a hike together and in their mind, it's like very, very challenging. 
Um, and I was saying it wasn't, I was a little bit sore afterwards, but long story short, we did 14 miles Saturday morning, um, with some weight. And it was just so interesting to, I'm just, you know, most of the time I'm hunting or doing something like the death hike. It's with people who've done that before. And it was just really funny being with uh, a bunch of guys who are super green to hiking any sort of distance or having packs with wage and stuff like that. So that was kind of a, a fun thing this weekend was just to experience that with those guys. It's mm. so funny how um, hard, tough is just a perspective, right? Like what, yeah. what you think is hard and tough to the next guy is like a walk in the park. Um, and it just goes to show you that so much of that is mental, right? It's just all in your head. Mm-hmm. For sure. Well, to get to some listener questions, uh, a co- first, a couple kind of like follow-ups from recent podcasts or pieces of content that we put out. Um, and one was on the gear of the year, uh, which we just put out last week uh, in a podcast, as well as that blog post on the site where you can get links to everything. But uh, a guy asked, and it was a good question. I honestly meant to address this when we had that conversation, but didn't. And he said, for context, are those sponsored gear reviews or is there no affiliation with these companies? And he was specifically talking about um, the options that we mentioned in the gear of the year that we picked. So um, what I had told him, and I'll kind of reiterate here and you can fill in any gaps, but we, you know, we don't, we've done that gear of the year recap for the last four years at this point, but honestly, it's something I never think of until it's this time of year. And I'm just personally thinking back through the year. And so there's never a time where like in June, I'm like, oh, I need to make sure that we feature this piece of gear for the gear of the year. Like that doesn't happen because it's all literally just getting to this time of year and looking back and thinking about what gear I used. And so that's one. The other I'd say is, I think there's basically three different, um, call it categories basically of, us getting that gear. And one is we buy it at full price. These companies have no idea we exist. Number two is it's pretty common in the outdoor industry to have access to often some sort of industry discount. And sometimes that's, you know, a small percentage or a bigger percentage. And so there's things in the gear of the year that I purchased, not specifically to review or knowing it would be part of anything, but just because an industry discount exists. Or occasionally we do get items for free. And usually that's with no strings attached, meaning we're not telling people like, hey, we're going to feature this type thing, but more of like get opportunities to, hey, will you guys check this out? Let us know what you think. Give us some feedback. Um, And as I looked through everything you picked and I picked, uh, it fell into one of those three categories. So I guess the short answer is no, nothing there was sponsored. Um, yeah, I get, we don't really have like sponsors. There's some companies where we get to test stuff. Some okay, Sometimes we even do product swaps, like occasionally not too often, but uh, yeah, definitely not a sponsored or no underlying motive between no, behind a yeah. few of your picks. And my, and to get to like what he's truly asking for that, you know, these like fake reviews and like 100% no, like, in fact, I probably pissed off people that, you know, sent us stuff that don't get included in it. Right. Or, um, you know, like, yeah, I probably piss off more people that we're quote unquote friends with in the industry than, than I make happy, uh, purely just choosing the gear that I think is the best. And I think, 
yeah, I mean, that's just, I, I have, I mean, it doesn't do us any good in the long run and people see through that stuff to recommend gear that isn't good. Like if you, if we recommend it and it's, they get it and it's like, ah, this kind of sucks. What the heck were those guys talking about? Right. Like that's, that's not good for anybody. So it's just hundred percent. If you make good gear, you make good gear. Like we have a great first light is a good example. Like we have a great relationship with those guys or an Idaho company, um, get, you know, close a discount from them. Sometimes get prototype stuff for free. I didn't include them in any of that stuff. In fact, it's the opposite. Like I recommend Prana pants and a stellar puffy. Um, because they make like Stellar makes a badass puffy that I think is slightly better than what First Sight offers at the moment, right? Um, so it's hundred percent the decisions are based off of what uh, you know what we use and recommend and like. Yeah. Um, another follow up. We had obviously talked recently about our Kodiak trip and did a couple podcasts on that, um, and in that talked a bit about gear. But one thing we overlooked was talking about rain gear and we've mentioned rain gear for Kodiak, uh, kind of in passing. Um, I think even prior to our trip, didn't really recap it after this hunt though. Uh, and so the question came and said, can you quickly comment on rain gear for your Kodiak hunts? This guy said, I've been to Alaska twice, once in the Brook in the Brooks range for caribou hunting and another trip to Kenai for fishing for both of those trips. I used Gore-Tex rain gear and was very happy with it. I'm curious though, if that'd work well for Kodiak or would the extra durability of something like rubberized rain gear be a better choice? <laughs> that's a perfect segue. You're just talking about first light when, when they make a product <laughs> that's badass, I highly, highly recommend it. And that's yeah. like their seek stuff is incredible. Like not, not at all from a backpacking lightweight perspective, but from a waterproof breathability, uh, durability perspective, that stuff is awesome. Um, it's my favorite stuff by far. And I've tried a lot of rain gear from just about every company, like hunting industry, Arcteryx, uh, outdoor research. Just, I mean, again, I'm always looking for the best stuff that I can take out there with me. And that first light seek system is literally as good as I've ever found. Um, the, it was yeah, all the guys, you know, new to the trip this year. I was like, this is a tough call. Like if you don't want to go spend $600 on you know, a pair of a really nice rain jacket and pants. Cause the second you walk a half a mile in that brush, you're just like, you feel like you're just going to destroy it. Uh, at the same time, you need good rain gear. Um, I would absolutely to his question, avoid any of the rubbery stuff. I think that's fine if you're on a boat or not moving, but I really don't think you want to be hiking in that. Um, so yeah, it's just a tough, uh, we, this year was interesting because all that snow really like weighed all the brush down. So it wasn't 30% of what I remember when we went two years ago. Um, so it wasn't that bad, uh, at least wherever, ever, every place I hunted, I don't know where, where you were at Mark on a few days, but the brush wasn't nearly as bad as it was two years ago. So, um, and I know if you were to go in August when all that stuff is green and you still got to pack good rain gear, cause there's a really good chance of rainstorms coming in, uh, man, yeah, you're just gonna, it's going to be pretty beat up. You're going to put, you know, three, four seasons of hard use on it, probably in, in one hunt, just with all that uh, brush, you're going to be busting. So yeah, tough call. Yeah. Cheap. <laughs> I, don't, I think you just got to go like, if money's a tight issue, you just kind of go maybe more cheap, but durable. Um, then go spend a lot of money on really nice stuff. Cause it's going to, it's going to sting when you're busting through that brush and you know, you're putting holes in it and, you know, potentially ripping it and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, I'd echo all that. Seek is 
perfect for um, something like that. As good as anything I've found or seen. Um, yeah. The light stuff would just get, get shredded. I mean, the, and this trip was very different. We talked before about um, our prior trip, even the days it didn't rain, we often needed rain gear just because it was so wet, all the brush and everything else. And, you know, we had the snow this time. Uh, and so that's potentially a factor. Um, but like with gators, I was typically, there was some holes, you know, I'd get in where it'd be above my gator, but, um, I wore, yeah, I mean, I wore my seek jacket, uh, that day that Corey and I were out and it snowed pretty much all day that day. Um, and then honestly used it on the boat fishing just as a, an extra wind break. Um, but it's definitely, you know, a different trip this year than last year. And that's, that's part of what makes it so fun and interesting. It's like, all right, we're going to go to Alaska. What are we going to get type thing? You know? <laughs> yep. Um, all right. This was a, a fun question, I think, to think through. Um, and basically this guy asked if we had an end of the year routine. I'll, I'll read the whole question and we can kind of break it up. But he said, do you guys have any particular routine you follow at the end of hunting season? Maybe a checklist of things you should do as season wraps up. Uh, and then he also added, it'd be fun to hear from each of you as well on what your favorite moment was this season and, or if there's any particular lesson you learned this year. Um, so we'll start with the first part, the kind of end of the year routine, end of the year checklist, anything that kind of falls in a, a category for you, Steve, of like, here's things I try and do at the end of hunting season. I know you're probably not super strategic with that these days, but I also think there's probably some things you do kind of naturally that you've uh, made a habit over the year. So um, anything like that for you? Mm, I mean, definitely clean gear, right? Like just wash packs. Um, I'd, I probably, no, I don't, I wouldn't say I consistently wash my uh, quilts, but I, I, that's probably more of, I'd do that in the spring right before a hunt. If I'm going to go start, you know, backpacking in the spring. Um, yeah. And I guess there's not a whole lot, man. I, I definitely, it's not so much end of the year, but as the season's progressing, I'll, I'll go to my, I've just a, a Google spreadsheet with that's all my, my gear list. Right. And then I have a little note section. So if there's anything in there that needs to be addressed or that broke, right. I write that in there. So next year, when I come back to it, um, I'll have that. Like I, I had that for Kodiak, right. The first time I went to Kodiak, I made a Kodiak gear list. And then right at the, I think on the flight home from that trip, I made a note on like, okay, when I come back next time, here's the four things I'm going to do different. And then here it is two years later, I referenced that thing and like, Oh yeah, I need this and this and this. Um, I do that with my main gear list as well. Just like, uh, you know, water filters and stuff like that. You can, if you're running Sawyer water filters, any of those, I think you can clean those out with like, a, a bleach solution, right? Like a really watered down bleach solution. You run it through back flush it so that killing any bacteria that could be grown in there, water bladders, anything that holds water, I make sure it's drained. And then I'll usually, um, probably stuff some paper towels in it, uh, to, to kind of keep it open and make sure it dries out. And that's about it, man. Just, um, yeah, I just, you know, clean a few things like a stove. I'll just, uh, run through the, not the stove itself, but the can, the, the pot I'll just run in the dishwasher, get it good and clean, pack it away. Um, there's not a whole lot. And then also for me, um, you know, it's like a lot of that stuff. I take a pack with me when I go chucker hunting and then, there's potential to do wolf hunting. So there's not really like a hard end of 
hunting season for me, but I definitely just kind of clean, organize a little bit and then call it good. Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, one of my points that I purposely try and do is, is I'm thinking, oh man, hunting season's wrapping up, or at least, you know, big game season's wrapping up. I'm trying to be intentional about, uh, making sure I'm not putting things away with the mindset of like, see you next year, see you in six months. Right. I'm looking for a reason to like, what kind of trip can I do this winter? How can I get out and like still use this stuff? I mean, whether that's backpacking or camping or just keeping your pack and hiking, like we did this weekend, like just look for and make a reason to not feel like you have to stop. And yeah, big game season might be over for you, but doesn't mean you can't get out and enjoy the outdoors and keep hiking or even do some winter camping or things like that. And so, um, I just honestly try to be intentional about thinking through what can I do in December? What can I do in January? What can I do in February? What can I do in March? Um, and really try to at least have one thing each month in the quote unquote off season. That's at least going to get me out, keep me physical, keep me, you know, with some time in the outdoors. Um, on purpose. And if you do that, it's obviously good for you, but it helps those long winter days pass. And then pretty soon it's like, all right, it's spring. And whether your thing is, you know, shed hunting, turkey hunting, uh, getting out and fishing, spring bear coming around, like it just, I find it helps pass the time. So just, I think it's a mindset shift more than anything of don't think it's over, but find an excuse to get out and stay active. Hmm. For me though, yeah, I mean, I don't have anything too specific. Um, a lot of the stuff you mentioned, Steve, just basically making sure that things are clean. I usually take the time to reorganize at that time of year. And as I'm organizing, it's, um, you know, what do I need maybe next year? Kind of like you're talking about with notes, like what's something I would change. And at the same time, also like, what can I get rid of? Like what, you know, as I'm organizing and putting stuff away, I'm pulling out this whatever and like, you know what? I haven't used this in two years, right? Like, can I give this to somebody? Can somebody use this? Um, and that's usually at the end of the year. I mean, there's some small pile of stuff that I hand off to a buddy or sell super cheap or something like that um, versus just hanging on to too much stuff for too long. But yeah, it's pretty simple. I will say, you know, it's uh, just speaking of, things clean, like cleaning that pack is important because one of the most like common issues we get when a guy emails in and needs repair, it's not because something broke, but he left a bloody pack or he left food in his pack. Uh, and then either his dog chewed it or a rodent got to it or something like that. So those little things of like, even on your pack, like go through the pockets, pull everything out, do the same for, um, your, you know, your hunting clothes or what have you, and just make sure that you truly have gone through stuff before you put it up is really good. Yeah. And then last thing, any, da anything down, especially your sleeping bag, quilt store, like flat, like I'll usually just lay them underneath a bed in our guest bedroom, um, where they can just lay lofted, right. You just don't want to uh, ever store anything down. That's compressed for a long time. Yep. Yeah. And anything that's uh call it an air chamber. It's like an inflatable sleeping pad or even your pillow. Um, try and store with that valve open um, just because storing it closed moisture can get trapped in there and that actually can uh, degrade um, degrade the ability. I had a Cedar Summit pillow that 
didn't hold air anymore um, and was likely because of that. And so they were super good about replacing it, but they're also like, hey, make sure when you store this, or you're not using it, just leave that valve open um, and that'll prolong the life of it, which was a great tip. Uh, in that question, he, he asked kind of at the end, separate topic, uh, he said, it'd be fun to hear from each of you on what your favorite moment was this season and or if there's a particular lesson you learned this year. So it's probably hard to pick a favorite. I know it is for me, but what comes to mind for you, Steve? Man, I mean, it's, yeah, it's gotta be the sheep hunt and, and, uh, holding a dead sheep horns in my hand right there <laughs> in, the, in the middle of the Frank church. And then, um, and then that, the pack out on that, man, it's just something I'll never forget the rest of my life. Right. Um, yeah. Lesson learned. Yeah. I'm going to have to think about that one. Maybe I'll come back at the end of the podcast. Uh, it was just a good, Man, it was a fun season. Went by fast. I know that. Yeah. Yeah, it did. Yeah, for me, there's it's hard to pick one. Um, actually have I made like this uh little photo collage. Like I usually do this at the end of every hunting season is pick out a few photos, and they're not always with animals, but like maybe just kind of capturing some moments um and put them together in almost like this little collage and usually print it and hang it in my office or something, just because throughout the year it like it's just fun to look back at that stuff, but, um, I already did that for this year and have, uh, the photo of you and I, Steve with my bull. And, you know, to me, it's like, I'm just more and more, man. It's like just the experience and the people you have it with. So regardless of what that bull is or how we scored or whatever, just that picture of you and I, and just like remembering that hunt is always fun. Um, I have a picture in there from Kodiak. That was always a blast. One of my favorite places on earth. Um, and then something I don't even think I've talked about, uh, on the podcast, but I was able to hunt with my daughter and she got her first deer this fall. And so I have that in there as well. So those are definitely a few of the favorites, um, all very different hunts, very different places, very different experiences, but, um, man, cherish a lot of them. And as I was doing that, gosh, I was even thinking through, oh, it was actually when we were, um, preparing for the gear of the year stuff. And I was just thinking about, all right, what did I use this year? And on what it was like, man, I had not forgotten about, but already forgot kind of how cool that death hike was this year. And just, Mm. it's so easy to like, to not step back and appreciate things. Um, And that's one thing I love about photos is not even quote unquote trophy photos and photos you don't share on Instagram because I don't but it's just for your own, you know, looking back and remembering and appreciating. It's obviously a fun time to do that here at the end of the year, but um, yeah, I don't know if I can pick a favorite. Um, my daughter shooting that deer was pretty dang special. Yeah, a pretty cool be- moment. I'd, I'd always remember. So it's like, yeah, you know, elk hunting was cool. Kodiak was great. I've done both of those before. So like that, the true first of like getting my daughter, her first deer and how that went down and, all those moments were pretty dang special. Yeah. That first kill at the daughter's got to be pretty high. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, lessons learned. I'm kind of with you, Steve. I'm drawing a blank. Not that I didn't learn anything, but there was not one giant standout. Yeah. I think I got, for some reason I'm going back to the Frank on a sheep on and just, I don't know what the lesson is yet, but I, I had a, you know, a less than 
positive attitude on that second trip than than normal for sure. Nor, I mean, you've hunted with me enough to know how how optimistic I am, right? And that second hunt, like I was just, it was a lesson learned of, I don't know, man. I just got, I wasn't, you know, still it was still positive, but it wasn't my normal positive side because it was just like it's tough in there. Um, so just a reminder to to fight that and always always stay positive. Like I said, Boshma was. Uh, huge there being with me and just keeping keeping the jokes rolling and keeping it a good time right um so i think uh just a reminder of how important it is to obviously i killed one but if i'd been by myself i think um it would have been different like i would have been wanting to like give up sooner right um so just yeah i find um find ways to keep a good attitude out there and and then that <laughs> that reminds me of when we had jeff bloomquist on the expert roundtable talking about the gear that matters is the gear that keeps you comfortable. Right. So, uh, staying comfortable has a, a huge impact, right. On your attitude and keeping a positive attitude. So stay, you know, find ways to be comfortable back there and keep a good attitude. And that, uh, just pays dividends when it comes to a enjoying the entire experience and b you know, harvesting, filling that tag at the end of it. Mm-hmm. I have to like put you on the psychologist couch here and like pick your brain apart, but why do you think you were struggling? Um, I mean, I know it's, um, so I, I mean, I've talked about in the past, right. I I really visualize like any, when I'm out there, I'm always, you know, I'm playing chess in my head, right? Like, and I'm always seeing a way that we're going to kill something, even if it, when the hunting's slow or crappy, um, I'm always like just visualizing, picturing how we're going to get it done that day. And usually I'm like, that makes, that creates confidence for me. Like, just, I think a lot of it's based off of past experience and being in different scenarios and, you know, just at any moment, things can change. Um, but I think at that time, it was just like, I'd done the four day solo trip. And then we were on day, the end of day two, day three, I can't remember where we, you know, hadn't seen a sheep yet. And it was just having a tough time. Like, I don't know how the hell this is going to happen. Right. I just, I just lost that picture of my head of, of being successful. Um, so that's, I think that's what got to me the most was just, um, like, I just don't see how this is going to happen. Um, mm-hmm. and that just created a you know, slightly negative attitude. Mm-hmm. I can relate that to, I'm sure there's quite a few listeners of this podcast who've never hunted sheep, maybe never will, but maybe they're the archery elk hunter who's been at it for two, three, four, five, six years. And they're thinking the same thing of they've put in the time and they're beginning to question like maybe this is never going to happen i don't know how this is going to happen i can't picture this happening um yeah i could i just know that there's guys in a totally different context who have that same thought and yeah i mean in terms of getting over that um you just got to keep going, man. Like it's, <laughs> oh, yeah. it, it's yep. tough. I get it, but it's also, it's like, it can happen. It will happen. And it, it's easy to get discouraged by stuff, but uh, if nothing else, man, it's, it's going to be even sweeter after the struggle. Right. And that's really easy to say, but it's, it's really, really stinking true too. You know, I wonder what there's, you know, there's something there because it's like once somebody breaks that seal, right. Gets their first elk killed. They're all like, I guarantee you 90% of the time 
from that day forward, they are, they are a more successful elk hunter, right? Mm -hmm. Um, they go five, six years without ever killing anything. And then all of a sudden they kill one and then maybe they kill one the next year. Maybe they don't the year after that. And they, I mean, they start killing animals Mm -hmm. and it's, they're, I mean, yes, they're, they're gaining experience and learning, but they're probably not hunting all that differently than they were on year three, year four, year five. Um, but there's just something like once you've done it and you know, it can be done that mental shift in your head of, um, having that, like I said, having that confidence that it can be done. It's, Mm -hmm. I mean, it just can't be overstated enough how important that is. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah. How do you build confidence when you don't have it? Right. And you haven't had the experience to build the confidence, right? Like there's. Yeah. It's a catch 22 a bit, you know? Yeah. Just keep going. <laughs> it's just, yeah. that's all you can do. Yeah. Like you said, just keep the head down and keep going. Eventually it'll happen. Yeah. Yeah. And just be, you know, be intentional about thinking through what, why hasn't it happened. Right. And sometimes it's, you know, very much things quote unquote outside your control. Right. But even in the instances where things aren't in your control, at least theoretically, there's still things you can learn from that and then change in the future accordingly. Maybe you can't control it, but you can do something about it usually in every circumstance. So, you know, you could say you can't control the wind, you can't control hunting pressure, you can't control, you know, X, Y, and Z, but you can still learn something from each of those things and be prepared to kind of overcome them uh, better in the future going forward. There's a, this is like jumping ahead. So one of the questions that came through, um, to us for the podcast, I didn't intend to get to today because I think there's a, like there's a higher level discussion here. Um, I think this would be a a great question for like a round table type format. So we'll come back to this, uh, in more depth, but it, the discussion we just had made me think of this question and the guy basically wrote in and said, um, how do you become a next level hunter? So he said, in short, my question for you guys is other than just simply getting out there and doing it as much as possible, what do you think is the best way to efficiently push yourself to, and he said in quotes, the next level coming from an already semi-experienced hunter who still wants to improve. Um, which I think is a great question. I mean, and he said it there, like other than just getting out there as much as possible. Right. So experience is always going to be the best teacher. Um, but in this case, he's not a brand new hunter. So it sounds like he has some of the basics covered. Um, you know, he says he's semi-experienced. So how does he get to the next level? And I think that'd be a, a really fun question to think through with, you know, get 10 different opinions on. Right. Yeah. I mean, as you said that, that's like what that expert roundtable series is that we've done a couple of times now, go mm-hmm. back and listen to those. Like the, the, a huge thing for me was, uh, you know, not only talking to, but also I got the opportunity to hunt with some guys that I consider to be in that next level. I mean, the guys that are public land guys that fill their tags 100% of the time. Right. Um, just talking with those guys and that podcast, that's what that expert roundtable is, is here's five questions. They're all going to answer it differently. Um, but just start understanding what these guys do to, to separate themselves from everybody else. And, 
you're going to see that it just, yeah, comes down to paying attention to the details, um, top to bottom. And some guys, some guys do very, very well in the planning and preparation. Other guys do very, very well in the relying on instincts out there in the field. Uh, and then the guys that can mesh all that up together, just crush it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, because, uh, it would be another round table we could do, right? Like let's yeah. get 10 guys and ask, uh, and you almost got to break that down into, well, maybe not. Maybe you could keep it general and just get 10 very different answers, or you could break that down into more specific, five more specific questions or something. Yeah. Yeah. If you guys haven't uh, heard or maybe even want to go back and revisit, because it's one of those things that even as I say this, I want to go back and revisit it. But um, the expert roundtable is a series we've done twice. Um, two separate times, different aspects of questions we asked, different guests that we heard from. But if you just go to exomountgear.com forward slash podcast, um, there's a search bar there and it allows you to search any of our previous podcast episodes. And I just did this to make sure it would work well, but just enter roundtable, all one word, um, and search, and it's going to bring up all those. So the original expert roundtable series we did, um, it's like episodes 181 and beyond like 181 through 185, somewhere in there. Um, and I want to say that that was shoot. That was probably 2018. Maybe I don't have the dates in front of me. Um, and then we just did one this past year, um, with again, different guests and kind of different questions, but those are going to be episodes like in the 295 to 300 range. But again, just search round table. And you can scroll through all those and they would definitely help answer this question. Um, even if we're not asking this question to those guests directly, for sure. Cool. Well, Steve, we have more, but we, uh, we already took a Monday minute and turned it into quite a long episode. So we'll save more for next time. Uh, as always, guys, if you have anything for us that you want to hear about, doesn't have to be a Monday minute question, could be a topic suggestion for a full show or a guest suggestion, anything like that. Just send an email to podcast at exomountgear.com. Uh, appreciate you guys as always for tuning in, supporting the show, and we'll talk to you soon.